Let me ask you a question as we start today. And here's the question. Do you ever struggle wondering if the Lord really loves you? Do you ever struggle wondering if the Lord really loves you? Now, we're going to answer that or seek to throw some thoughts that should be in the direction of answering that question as we continue this morning. The answer to that question can be found in what we've been talking about for these last several weeks in this matter of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? We pointed out, John talked about something. He said, here's how you'll know the Messiah. Here's how you'll know that you have met the true Messiah. He is the one who will baptize you with his Spirit and with fire. Jesus referenced what he called the promise of the Father. Not a promise from the Father, but the promise. The promise that will be greater than any other promise, will be different than any other promise. If the Father could come up with one promise that he wants to make to the people who love him, It is this one promise and the promise that his people would be filled with his spirit. The the kingdom of God coming, the kingdom of God, have, have the statement of Jesus, statement of John the Baptist, the promise of the Father, Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God. You can't have a kingdom without a king. So as he was teaching following the resurrection for 40 days before he ascended back to the right hand of the Father, he taught on the subject of the kingdom. And he said in Acts 1, don't don't go out and try to implement the kingdom. Don't go out and try to make the kingdom come until you are filled with the Spirit, baptized, drenched the Spirit from on high. When my Spirit is poured out upon you, you'll be clothed with power from on high. Then on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that happened. Rushing mighty wind, roar out of heaven, tongues of fire touching down on the 120 who were in the upper room. And Luke records that they were all filled with the Spirit then, and they went out and began to talk about Jesus and declare the great things of God as those who heard them would describe it. But they were doing it with a power and with a freedom they had never dreamed of. 
they were assigned, and I've mentioned this each time, and there's a reason for it. They were assigned to bear witness of Jesus in the very place of their greatest fear, in Jerusalem itself. The authorities were still in place. Both religious authorities and governmental authorities were still in place who had orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was hated by them, particularly the religious leaders. And all those who would identify themselves as followers of Jesus would also be hated and they would be hunted, they would be persecuted. But Jesus said, when my spirit is poured out, when my power comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You, you, will, you will declare with your own mouths who I am and what I've done for you and what I've come to do to the world. Somewhere in that, and it's, it's not just hidden in, in some minor theme, it's the, it's the great theme of that truth. You, you will be empowered to be a witness for me because my power in you will set you free. Set you free of the fear of man. Set you free of the fear of death. My spirit in you will set you free. The Apostle Paul picks up on that exact same theme when he writes in 2 Corinthians 3.17. We mentioned this one last week. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is doing what the Spirit of the Lord desires to do, is focused upon doing, is bent upon doing, there's freedom happening. There's freedom coming. It, it may not all happen in one fell swoop, like Shirley mentioned. It may be incrementally. It may be by degrees. But the work of the Spirit in your life, write it down. Know it's true. The work of the Spirit in your life is to set you free and to keep on setting 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 you free. If we, if we stop, if we stop at the point of when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, as if that is the only time, that is the only season in our life as a Christian where we're going to know the joy of being set free. Where, where there may be some addictions broken or there may be some relationships that end, mainly being broken, feeling broken in us the power of sin to just lead us around like, around like a slave, where we sense that that, that freedom is, is, is there now and we're not a slave as we were before. There's great joy. But I believe that what we are to understand is that the Lord wants to just keep on taking us further and further into the liberty, the great liberty, Romans 8 speaks of, that is ours as the sons and daughters of God. You know, when, when you're 20-something, you have some things that you may need to be set free from, and the Lord can do that. 
By the time you hit 30, there may be a few more. By the time you hit 40, 50, 60, there can 70, there can be another whole set of things to be set free from. It may not be the same things that there were in, in, in your 20s or in your 30s. But attitudes, reactions, perspectives, memories, bent in a direction. The Lord has the desire to just keep on, keep on. Showing us that's bondage, that's not freedom. There's another way to think. There's another way to react. There's another way to, to deal with people than the way you've always dealt with them. Folks, I'm just telling you. This matter of the work of the Spirit of the living God inside you and me, inside us as the church, is a dynamic thing. There's nothing static about it. He is continuing. So, so at the very places, now you take it back to here were, the, here were the early Christians, followers of Jesus. Spirit hasn't been poured out upon them yet. They're, they're trapped by their fears, and understandably so. They, were, they, they, had, they had nothing but the resources that they had had, except for now Jesus is no longer going to be physically present. They can't go and sit at his feet and listen to his audible voice. He's leaving. But he's saying to them, my dream, my plan, my assignment for you is not to change your street address, not to relocate you to Galilee where it's peaceful, but right here in this very place where they crucified me, where they put me to death, right here in this very place, I'm going to so set you free that the ones who are intimidating you now, the ones who will shut you down just by their appearance or the threat of something that you might have heard them say, that is going to be eradicated in your life. You will not fear them because of the power of my spirit, of my presence inside you. As that happens to us, as that kind of freedom begins to work further and further in our hearts, we are changed. Our eye color doesn't change. Our shoe size doesn't change. Our waist size probably won't change. It might, but it may not. But what changes, what changes is there comes to be a settleness and a calm a joy, a freedom, even in the very presence of the ones who had before intimidated us and shut us down. Don't measure whether or not the filling of the Spirit has taken place only in terms of whether your street address gets changed, whether or not God just moves you away or he makes everybody who has been mean nice to you now. They may never change, as we keep saying. They may never change. But for you to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus means that with everything still the same, you on the inside have been set free, have been set free of the things that have rattled you, shook you, held you back, intimidated you, or caused, seemed to push you into becoming a person that you hate, that you wish you, could, you would never even have to consider yourself as being. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, fill me with your spirit.
the reflex prayer, the knee-jerk automatic prayer, when we begin to find things overwhelming us, when we, we're recognizing our weakness, we, we realize that, that we're not able to, to fix our situation and we don't know what to do, instead of staring at ourselves, instead of just assuming that, 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 that we have messed up so bad and it's God's waiting for us to to get ourselves out of this, instead of even, even wasting our time with those kind of thoughts, automatically, when I feel a sense of weakness, when I feel a sense of lack, when I feel a sense of emptiness, Lord, Jesus, fill me. Fill me. I don't just need my spirit encouraged. I don't just need another dose of my kind of happiness, what make me happy. I need something from the, beyond this world. I need something that's bigger than this planet. I need something that's beyond physical dimensions. Lord Jesus, living Christ Jesus, fill me with your spirit. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 and 33. We've looked at this before, but I, I just keep being drawn back to this section in the book of Acts. Peter's preaching. He's the fisherman, right? He's never been to seminary, never been to Bible college. The New Testament hasn't been written. There were no printing presses. All they had were handwritten scrolls or books of parchment. He didn't have any of that. But he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Joel. He's quoting the Psalms. And he's become somebody that only God knew he could become. The people around him would say he's a coward, he's a big mouth, he opens his mouth just so he can stick his foot in it. That's Peter. But the Lord saw him as something different. The Lord knew who he would be, but he knew who he would be, folks, in the power of the Spirit of Jesus. There wasn't anything spectacular about Simon Peter except what it could seem to us to be as we read the record of some of the things he said and did. He, he, just, he just didn't ever know how to shut up. You know, he just didn't ever know how to draw the, wrong, draw the right conclusion in things. He, he, he rebuked Jesus. Don't be talking about death, Jesus. Right, right after he had said, you're Christ, the Son of the living God, he steps right into that thing where the Lord begins to say, I've got to go to the cross. And that was the main mission of Jesus. And Simon Peter decides he, he, he can be the high sheriff and rebuke the Son of God and says, what are you talking? And to which Jesus had to turn around and say, get thee behind me. That was Simon Peter. That was Simon Peter who could miss it again and again. He could do great things, but he could also blow it in big ways. But here we find this Simon Peter who had been the coward, who was hiding from these officials with any thought of reference that he might be connected with Jesus. Now, now things have changed. Something has happened. The power of the risen Christ has filled him up. And as he was filled up, the fear of man that used to rule his life was defeated in that moment, in that time. So we find him speaking. And again, no sermon notes, no time to prepare, no, nobody with a teleprompter. He, he's just out of his heart, out of his heart, empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, he's speaking. And so these things he says in verse 32, this Jesus... This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Now watch these words. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus, 
having been exalted to the right hand of God. He was dead. He was raised, but not just raised to life again on this planet, in this kind of life. He was exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. The exalted Jesus, no longer dead, now alive, raised up to the right hand of the Father, the vision of which, the, the, the appearance of which is described by John in Revelation chapter 1 that we looked at last week. And when John saw him in that vision on Patmos, it says that he fell at his feet as a dead man. Saul was on his way to Damascus. Jesus appeared to Saul on the road. But it wasn't the earthly Jesus just raised to another life, raised back to life again. This was the exalted Jesus, reclothed with all of the glory that he had with God the Father before he emptied himself and was born of the Virgin Mary. He became again the commander of heaven's armies, the radiant Shekinah glory of God, the brilliance of God radiating, emanating from this Jesus. And Saul said the same thing. John did, that when he looked up and he saw this bright light, he fell on his feet. He just fell flat of his face. No longer limited is this Jesus. No, more, no longer beaten is this Jesus. No longer crucified is this Jesus. He's not just alive, he's exalted. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father, given the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's that Jesus, folks. Will you just let me flail my arms and holler real loud in an attempt to try to convince you. This isn't a little sissified, babyfied, earthly Jesus that wants to pour out his spirit in you. This is King Jesus. This is the Lord of all lords, Jesus. This is the one who says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Oh, it's that Jesus, when John saw him, he fell at his feet as a dead man. When Saul saw him, it rocked him to the ground. It's that Jesus. It's that Jesus who wants to fill you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. Fill you with his presence. Uh, let me get my breath back. Come back to verse 33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. He, Jesus, has poured forth his Spirit. Now, I've been trying to figure what is an analogy in our lives 21 centuries later, to having something poured out on us. Well, I'd like to think that most, maybe not all, of the men in this room, before they came to church this morning or last night after they got through working in the yard or whatever, 
they stepped into a shower. And they turned the, thing, turned the temperature knobs on, and the cold and water got it balanced, made sure that it was more warm than it was ice cold, or it wasn't just scald and hot, it was a little bit in the mid-range. And you stuck your head up under that shower head. And you felt the water being poured out upon you. Some of us, maybe before we came today, maybe it was yesterday, we walked into a bathroom, we turned the knobs, and we stuck our hands underneath that faucet. And there was water being poured out. Water being poured out on our heads as we got a shower. Water being poured out on our hands when we washed our hands before dinner. Any way you cut it, we knew that something was being poured out. I, I, I can't imagine a man going into his bathroom, turning on the shower, getting in the shower, walking out, and not sure if anything hit him. Not sure if anything got on my hands. Folks, listen. This, this idea that you can be filled, you, you can have poured out upon you the spirit of the almighty Christ and you missed it. Or you didn't know anything happened. Or it was just some kind of a cranial acknowledgement, an academic pursuit. Baloney. There's a Greek word for that. I'm not sure exactly which one it is, but how, how could that be? How could that be? How could that be? That you could be filled with the spirit of the exalted Christ for the purpose of lifting high his name, unashamedly proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When in the face of that, you would know nothing but hesitation and fear, being uncomfortable, being worried about how it might be taken and what the consequences, repercussions might be. But when filled with his spirit, there's more of a power to open your mouth and declare than there is a power to keep your mouth shut and hide in silence. That's what happened. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin, the same group that interrogated Jesus, tried Jesus in the mock trials, sent him off to be crucified, it was the same faces. It was the same people. They had the same measure of earthly authority. Well, let's just read what happened. Acts chapter 4. Find this in your Bible. And, and if you can put yourself in this and, and put yourself in the setting where you tend to be the most easily intimidated, whether it's people shaming you, they could have shamed Peter. Look what you did, Peter. You denied the Lord three times, Peter. You weren't there for him. They could have 
brought up the list of things as to why he should be disqualified from being a speaker. Still, folks, listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill perfect people. If you're waiting to try to feel like you've got to earn it by your righteousness, you'll never get there. Simon Peter and the rest of them, they were struggling. They were filled with fear. They were worried. They, they, they had doubts about what the future held for them. And it was to that group that the Lord said, I'm not sending you out as you are now. I will send you out filled with my spirit. And my spirit working in your life will make all the difference. You'll be the same in many ways. But the inside of you will be charged with power. And the power will be marked by freedom. People won't scare you like they used to scare you. People won't be able to bind you like they used to bind you. You'll be free to follow me and to do what I've instructed you to do. Because my voice in your life, my presence in your life will be greater than the consummate sounds of voices of the multitude arrayed against you. Well, Acts 4, they're arrested because of the healing of the man in in Acts 3. They're they're, they're brought in. Look look, look at verse 5. It came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there. Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all these names listed in the trials of Jesus in the Gospels, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, had placed Peter and John in the center of that group, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now, let me just stop right there. There's another way to translate. Remember, we're, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written in ancient languages, so, so that we have to translate from the ancient language to get it in some sort of a contemporary wording that we can get, get, the, get our hands around. This could also be translated not just in Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, It can also be translated, then Peter, just having been filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he spoke on Pentecost. He needed that dimension of the filling of the Spirit where he could open his mouth and declare boldly. But he didn't spend all of his days on the day of Pentecost. But here comes another setting, and he's now being called to give a reason for the hope that is within him. And the Lord fills him just in advance of what he was going to be called upon to do. You know, Shirley and I, this does tie together, Shirley and I will celebrate 43 years of marital bliss this June the 5th, this Wednesday, 43 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, marital bliss for me, I, she's had all kinds of struggles, I know, along the way. But she leaned over to me a minute ago before I got up here And she said, I had all these ideas of what I might want to try to do to welcome the folks and to say what she was going to say. But then I I was just sitting there praying, and I saw her put her head down, and and she said, I I felt like I just need to ask the Lord, what of those he wanted me to do? And he didn't answer me with anything. 
It's like everything I wanted to do, he wasn't amen in any of it. But she said from the time that she left there and walked up here and got up on the platform and went over there to Josh and started interviewing him, that was what she felt like the Lord was giving her to do. And as she did that, we all were engaged in it, and we all got blessed. I want to say I was blessed. I thought, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I have no idea what this woman's fixing to do. Just want to say back to David, just, you know, go, go light on the, on the sound. But I know better than that. Like when she doesn't do this much, doesn't do it often, but on the, in the moment. At the spot in time. Now, folks, that's what I'm telling you. This matter of being filled with the Spirit and seeking for Him to control you is, is adventure. There's nothing boring about it. You may not know from the next minute to the next day what it is that He'll have you do or where He'll put you, but you'll be more blessed than anybody. That God, by His Spirit, was doing something in you that you knew wasn't you. Folks, listen. Child of God, Christian, don't live in the boring human realm alone. We have to live in that realm to some degree to put milk in the refrigerator and pay some bills. But there's another whole dimension to you. God has picked you out to be his chosen vessel, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit on this planet. You're a walking, breathing place where the spirit of the living Christ lives and moves and acts and operates. They may not know you from Adam's house cat where you work in terms of priority and big shots, but heaven knows your name. And the Lord can empower you to do and to be whatever he wants you to do and to be, and he can give it to you. And you may have not have started the day knowing what he would want you to do, but he'll let you know when he wants you to know it, and he'll guide you into what he wants you to say. That is what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and to be led by the Spirit. And that was Peter and John's testimony on this occasion. Having just been filled with the Spirit, verse 8, he said to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, you. Now think of this. This is Simon Peter. On the night of Jesus' trial, he wouldn't be anywhere close to seeing these men's faces. He was hiding and denying that he knew Jesus. But now, what's happened to him? I'm going to just tell you one word, one four-letter word, one four-letter word. He was set free. He was set free. He was set free. He was set free of the fear of man. If God can do that in Simon Peter, God can do that in you. Don't relegate this just to the Bible. Don't, don't cheat yourself out of incredible power and opportunity by saying, oh, that was then and this is now. It couldn't happen to me. It may not happen to you because you never asked for it. It may not happen to you because there's not a great enough desire within you to say, Lord, if you promise this to your people, if this is the promise, from the Father, if this is the way for me to know the kingdom on this earth, and it is that you would fill me with your spirit, then I'm asking you for it, and I'm asking you for it, and I'm asking you for it again, and I'm asking you for it again, and I'm asking you for it again. I know sometimes folks say, you know, Pastor, you went to school all those years, you got those degrees, you got all that stuff. Why won't you ever 
just get off this matter of being filled with the Spirit and life in the Spirit because, child of God, you have virtually nothing apart from this operating in your life. Because all of the truths, all of the great promises of God, all of the ways that he worked his redemptive plan up until this day and his redemptive plan even out into eternity, we won't understand unless the Spirit of God fills us and gives us the ability to see that's what you meant. This is what you meant. That promise written 700 years ago, 2,700 years ago, some way or another, I feel like he's talking to me. I feel like he was giving me direction, you would say. Where does that come from? It comes from the work, the operation of the Spirit of the living Jesus loving you, living inside you, talking to you. We have so much of an inheritance in Christ, but we will enjoy in this life so little of it, so little of it, apart from the working of the Spirit of Jesus. Taking, he said, Jesus said, he will take of mine, he will take what is mine, he'll take what I've accomplished, he'll take what I have taught, he'll take my truth, and he will disclose it to you. The Spirit will open it up to you. The Spirit will show it to you. Lord, fill me. You, you can read the Bible, get some degree of benefit from it, but the understanding can be lost. The impact personally can be lost. Apart from participating with the Lord as I read, Lord, you wrote it. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit so I'll understand what that is intended to mean for me. Well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel, verse 10, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Peter continued, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone. Look at verse 11. He's quoting scripture again. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. Now, folks, don't, 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 just, don't just have gone over this so many times that it loses the impact to us. Who is this man speaking? Who, who, who is he? He is the one who didn't have the courage to identify himself as a follower of Jesus just a few days before, literally days, a few weeks before. But now he's saying, you crucified him. You want to know where the power came from? The power came from Jesus, the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you orchestrated a death plot for. But let me tell you something else, Mr. High Priest. Let me tell you something else. All oh, you guys, God raised him from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And we are all witnesses of what we've seen. Okay, that, that probably left them a little speechless. It, it, it didn't change their mind about Peter and John. It didn't say, oh, these are incredibly gifted men. Maybe, maybe we've been wrong. Maybe we ought to agree with them. 
Don't make the mistake of thinking when the Lord puts something in your heart to say or a theme to represent, that that automatically means that everybody's going to be on God's side. That everybody's going to say, oh, that's awesome. We just missed it. Duh. It just made them matter. It just made them matter. But look at what it says. Verse 12, he continues, There is salvation in no other, no one else, but there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And then he stops there. No other name, no other name, no other name, no other name other than the name Jesus by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them. They had nothing to say in reply. How'd that word get out? Joseph of Arimathea, who loaned his tomb to Jesus to be buried in, more than likely was there. Nicodemus, who had met with Jesus under the cover of darkness in John 3, more than likely was there. Saul of Tarsus, more than likely, was there, or at least heard of the encounter. But when these men, educated, empowered, loving their position, leveraging their influence with the Roman centurions and force, when these men heard Simon Peter and saw Simon Peter and John, It says, when they observe their confidence, another word for confidence, folks, are you ready for this, is the word freedom. When they saw the freedom, meaning these guys are acting oblivious, Peter and John acting oblivious to what we could do to them. They're acting like we don't even matter. What are we, chopped liver? I mean, we're the big dogs. Look at our robes. Look at the color of our robes. Look at the gold all over us. (laughs) Peter and John acting as if they are of no account. Why? Oh, listen, 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 folks. It's because the spirit of the one who has all authority on heaven, in heaven, and on earth the spirit of the exalted Jesus, the ruler over the kings of the earth, his spirit was filling Peter and John and it changed Peter and John's perspective about earthly rulers and authority. Now for the season, those earthly rulers had their way in a sense. It wouldn't be the last time Peter would be called out by them. At one point, they killed James, put James, one of the pastors in the church, to death. Then they arrested Peter at the same time. 
It wasn't time for Peter to be taken to heaven. So that amazing story of Peter's chain shackled in the garden, middle of the night, he's wakened by an angel who stands him up. The chains fall off of his hands and feet. Follow me, the angel said. Simon Peter still didn't know whether he was dreaming or not until they get to the outer gate of the prison and the gates is open by themselves. And they walked out. It was then Peter realized this wasn't a dream, this is for real, and the angel vanished. And that's when he showed up at the house of the church. Church gathered to pray. You remember that story? And they were praying, oh, God, have mercy on Peter. Oh, Lord, don't let the same thing happen to Peter that happened to James. Lord, would you just have, and Peter's knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. The servant girl, Rhoda, goes and asks the door. She sees this is Peter. She comes back and she says, everybody, hey, Peter's at the door. They say, you got to be kidding. We've been just praying. This don't interrupt our praying. And sure enough, it was Peter. The Lord rescued him. All authority keys to every lock, the keys to every chain, every chain door, Jesus Christ has the authority over and can use when he sees fit. And when you know that that is the one who is filling you with his spirit, with his power, and it causes the fear of man. I'm talking to some, some folks and the, the just a, a face of a family member, a face of a parent, a face of a coach, a face of a boss, a face of something can just, the thought of it and, and picturing the face can shut you down, stop you in your tracks, believing the lies that they've spoken about you. What if the truth is you're not one thing like they speak of you, have spoken of you? What if the truth of you is you are picked out, chosen, treasured, wanted by the God of all glory and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was spent to set you free and to purchase you, to ransom you from the grips of Satan and all that sin and shame would try to do. You belong to him. You have an earthly father, but the earthly father was only used biologically to get you here. Your real daddy is your heavenly father. And he has plans for your life. He has designs for your life. But here is the key. We can conceptually know that. I believe God has a plan for my life. But go back to Acts 1.8. Go back to Luke 24. Jesus would say, you wait until you are clothed with power from on high. And then you go out. It is contingent upon the Spirit filling us for the purpose and plans of God through us to be implemented. And this is a prayer, folks, listen. Nobody can pray for you. You can go and have all the Dr. High Voltages in the world lay hands on you and pray for you. And there can be a measure of something happening. But what about the heart of it all? The lover of your soul wants to hear your voice speaking back to him, Lord Jesus, fill me, fill me, fill me. You say, well, what does that have to do with knowing that I'm really loved of God? Because, pastor, I struggle with that sometimes. I, I, it, 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 and it's, you, 
It's not a minority. It can be a large portion of the body of Christ. They can believe that they've been forgiven and that, that the blood of Jesus cleanses sin in the lives. But, but to feel it, to feel it, listen, not just to know about the love of God, but to feel the love of God in your heart. Like you feel whether you're hungry, like you feel whether you're mad, like you feel whether there's something of joy, to feel the love of God. Why wouldn't the Lord have used another word, something that would have, would have emoted some kind of just mental activity, just connection of linear thoughts? But for him to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that meant that the Father felt something for the world. That he was moved to pity for the world. He was stirred with compassion for the world. And I, I mentioned this before. But you get to reading the themes that are precious to the Apostle Paul. The former Pharisee. The former by the letter. The former knowing all the rules. Saying in a sense, according to the law, I was found blameless. But at the heart, he didn't know the love of God. He didn't know the love. He knew all the Bible, knew so much of the Old Testament Scripture. Had been taught well. Folks, you can read every verse in the Bible, memorize every verse in the Bible on the love of God and still not know the love of God. You can read all the books that are written by the great saints before you on how much God loves you. And that still not impact your heart, knowing that the Lord of all lords, King of all kings, loves you, loves you, and that you feel the response to feeling his love. You say, Pastor, that's just too touchy-feely. You, you, you got a problem. The Lord didn't come just to save our brains. He died on the cross, was raised from the dead, came forth to live in our hearts in order to save our souls, mind, emotion, and will. Why would he use the words, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Why would he use all of those emotional words if he was talking about something purely cranial? I just want to urge you to open yourself up to this truth, that it may be that you have never felt the love of God for you. And as a result of that, known a felt love back to him because you've never asked. You've never asked. To be filled with his spirit. I want to show you a verse that I believe is on toward the top of things in the Apostle Paul's life. Of that which was the reason behind his staying with the assignment the Lord had given him, putting up with so much things, enduring so many things. Romans chapter 5. Verse 3, not only this, but we also exult 
in our tribulations. Knowing the tribulation, trouble, stress, hassles, bring about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope, and then this. And hope does not disappoint. The hope of God, the hope that God instills, does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A role of the Holy Spirit's filling, a function of the Holy Spirit being poured out is to drench your heart with the felt love of God for you. It doesn't matter whether you agree with that. It doesn't matter whether we feel like we're worthy of that. It only matters that the Word of God declares it to be true, that it is by means of the filling of the Spirit and only by means of the work of the Spirit that we will know the love of God for us. You see, when there are big shots and there are loud mouths and there are folks with all kinds of earthly leverage who are on your case and after you, without the sense of how much God loves you, now I'm not, folks, listen, I'm not talking about knowing it in your brain. I'm not talking about knowing it with your brain. Do you, do you hear me? We can all know it with our brain, but that is not what causes us to be able to hold steady and to still walk in joy and to not give up and to keep trusting if we just know something in our brain. This is about feeling it. Why would he use the word love? Why would he say it's necessary for the Holy Spirit to be the one to shed this abroad if it was only going to be a cranial deal? We could just read it and know it. But he's saying the only way this happens. Oh, the only way this happens is that the power of the Spirit released into your spirit will just bathe you, drench you, warm your heart, flood your heart with the love of God. And he's not the crucified Jesus. He's the exalted Jesus. He's the one whose name is above every other name. And he loves you. Let me tell you, folks, when that's working in your heart, it won't matter so much who doesn't like you, who walks out on you, who rejects you, who has spoken ill against you. If you know the one that though even those tongues will one day confess Jesus is Lord, even those knees will one day bow before Jesus as Lord. Even those will confess. But he is the one. He's the one who loves you. Sometimes in church we spend so much time trying to work up enough, enough credit so that we kind of hope we're going to back God into a corner to love us. That maybe I'm, I'm finally worthy of his love because I've done all this stuff. I've had my quiet time, never missed a quiet time, never missed church, gave everything I had to give. You know, Paul will just say, what is all that? What is it, what is it worth? 
if it's not motivated by love, if, if it is not the result of knowing that you are loved. You talk about freedom. When you know that the Lord of glory, the commander of the angel armies, <laughs> the one who stepped out on nothing and said, let there be and all the lights turned on that he not only knows your name, but he loves you deeply. That you are precious to him. You are cherished by him. He's chosen you as his own. That he loves you. It's amazing what armor that is. It's amazing what animation that is. It's amazing what freedom that is. Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Freedom because I know He loves me. Not with my brain, but I feel it in my heart. I'm going to say that two more times. Not with my brain alone, but I feel His love for me in my heart. Not with my brain alone, but I feel his love for me in my heart. How, how, how does that happen? Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. How long do you pray? You pray until he fills you, until there's a sense that you know his love. Again, I've said you know, folks who have everything smooth, all bills are paid, everybody thinks you're just great. This doesn't this mean anything. You won't, you'll go on to something else. But ones with, with aches and longings and weaknesses and intimidations that we have to deal with, this is the best news we'll ever hear. That even if those knuckleheads don't change, even if those hurtful people don't change, you can be changed now sitting in that pew before you get to your car by the freedom that the Lord will bring as he causes you to know, I love you. I'll never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. You'll live your life in the goodness of God. I will, we'll have, that's our song, I will sing because I've lived my life in the goodness of God. Amen. Let that in. Let it in. Men, brothers, let that in. Smart people, educated people, let that in. You know, one thing about education will do for you, it'll just help you to be convinced of how much you really don't know. For sure. How much I really don't know for sure. But what we do need to know, educated, uneducated, rich or poor, married or single, short or tall, the God of all creation didn't make a mistake when he created you. That he created you by design. He created you because he loved you. He fashioned you for his pleasure and his delight. And he's chosen you as his own. And he wants you to know. He wants you to feel his love for you in the heart. So there again, that second of those two prayers we've been saying that change everything. First one, Lord, save me. Second one is, Lord, fill, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. 
Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you, heaven, that you haven't changed the writings of Scripture, the promises that you made, because we've been so slow of hearing, so, so slack in our understanding, so sluggish in our responding to your promises. Oh, Lord, send the Holy Spirit for Christ's sake. Lord, please help us open our hearts up that we'll begin to cry out, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, fill me with your spirit, realizing that that means freedom. Freedom because I know I'm loved. Freedom because I know I'm forgiven. Freedom because I know that God has my destiny in his hands. I'm free. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Would you stand with me, please? We've had a couple Sundays recently where we've invited folks to come forward just to, to stay in that place of prayer. Lord, fill me. But there's something a little different this morning that I want to encourage you to do. I believe that one of the things the Lord's wanting to do is to show you personally how much he loves you, individually. The Lord doesn't need crowds. He loves you individually. So what I want to encourage you to do, if this, is, if this has struck your heart, if this is hit, I want to encourage you to go sometime this afternoon or maybe sooner rather than later, but find a place by yourself. If you have to close yourself in a closet, go park somewhere, go sit somewhere. By yourself. Open your Bible to Luke eleven thirteen or Acts. And just hold your hand there and your hand here. Lord, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. Because when he does it one-on-one -on -one like that, you won't be trying to chase down somebody else who prayed for you as if they get the credit for what the Lord did. Maybe he just wants to show you how much he delights in you and how he hears your prayer for this most important thing that you could ask him all day or even in our lives. Lord, fill me. 